to the Animal Rescue Podcast, which you always wanted to know but didn't know who to ask. I'm your host, Keisha Ferrand. My guest this week is Pete Paxton. He is an animal cruelty investigator and one of the authors of Rescue Dogs. We discuss his work as an investigator, how he got into it, and what types of things he's seen. We also talk about what goes into evidence collection and how you can help both companion and livestock animals. While some of this may seem a little daunting, he breaks it down into actions that anyone can take. Thanks for listening. All right, so I am so excited to introduce Pete Paxton. Um, Pete, you... You've been an investigator for animal cruelty for how long now? For it's been, it's been over 20 years. I started in 2001. Okay. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been, it's been a minute. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I think this is going to be a tough episode, but very much worth it. Okay. Yeah. I, I, okay. So I promise I'm really going to try to not make your listeners cry. (laughs) <laughs> um, like I, my, my job is animal cruelty, like investigating animal cruelty, but I don't need to tell the most depressing stories of my career to all your listeners. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So you have, you've written a book mm-hmm. and you've also, you've got what, two documentaries out? Yeah. Two HBO documentaries. Um, there's another one. So the, the, the book is Rescue Dogs. And, and I wrote that with uh, Gene Stone and ghost author Nick Bromley. And I out Nick as a ghost author every chance I get because uh, he's so he's fantastic. Um, and the HBO docs are Dealing Dogs and Death on a Factory Farm. And Dealing Dogs, that is about the first undercover case I ever did, which is also described in the book. And then there was this other, now you can watch those on YouTube. Like you can just go to YouTube and just, oh, dealing dogs, death on a factory farm, right? There was another doc, uh, that doc was called um, Animal Undercover on Nat Geo, but I don't know how you find it. So so disregard that. Well, if it's (laughs) on National Geographic, then I think you, if you have Disney Plus, you might be able to find that because I think all their stuff is there, right? Uh, I mean, don't quote me on that. Maybe. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it could be. I, I guess we'll find out. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what got you into cruelty investigation? Yeah. Um, so, um, it is. It, it's. It's not something that just kind of happened. It's something that I really pushed for for a long time until finally someone would take me. Um, and I. I wanted, my story is that uh, what I wanted to do for most of my life is I wanted to be an artist and I would always put meanings behind things that I, you know, paint or draw. No one could ever understand what the hell I was trying to say. So I decided one day I suck as an artist. I'm not going to do that anymore. So I thought instead, (laughs) okay, what I'll do is I'll go into law enforcement because that would be instead of trying to help the world by making people think I'm just going to be hands-on. Maybe I can help people. And so I looked into all the different aspects of law enforcement that there are. And one of the things uh, I found was the uh, uh, behavioral sciences unit of the FBI. That's like the serial killer child abduction unit, right? And everyone knows about serial killers now. Um, 
but back then, I mean, it's like, it was not everybody understood what that was. And so I was, I was reading, um, I was, I was learning all about it until I finally realized as I was getting out of high school that that unit had people just lining up out the door to apply. And I thought, well, do they really need me? Am I really that special? Like I haven't even been a copy. Am I really that special? Right. And, uh, at the same time, I'd become vegetarian and then vegan, and I was becoming involved with animal rights, and I was working at a no-kill animal shelter. Um, I was a vet tech for dogs, and so what I was learning about, which later became affirmed, um, confirmed by my, uh, uh, by my investigations, is that the worst things that I've ever read about a serial killer doing to a person similar or identical things happen to animals, but on a mass scale. And so, you know, at the time it wasn't that, well, I'm not gonna pursue this other career. Let me just, let me start doing investigations in the animal rights movement. I hear that they don't have people lining up out the door. And uh, for two years, I just fought to try to get a position and finally got a chance when a PI working for a group took me on and he just had, we just, we were just tailing, we were out in New Jersey and we're just tailing around this guy who was selling sick puppies to people and then running. And we just had to tail him around, try and locate him so the cops could get him. Um, and, and then it was the next thing that happened was I uh, found myself undercover at, um, at a facility that, uh, uh, that was in the documentary dealing dogs. And that's when everything changed because that case is in my it's it's in my book rescue dogs but it's you can read about it and you can kind of wrap your head around it but it's it's that it's um the seriousness of what i was encountering and how that changed me is a way that there's no looking back there's no turning around from that it's i was i was on a path after that yeah so when i read your book some of the stories because i know you you have broken up into three parts yeah um, your experiences and then, um, I forget what the middle part is. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's experience. Thanks for reading it by the way. It's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> so there, 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 there's experiences and then there's, um, then there is all, all about it. Like, like, so like the first part explains the problem of puppy mills. Yes. Right. And so that's like firsthand accounts of like, yes. this is not conjecture or just statistics. This is yeah, I've, I've been to hundreds of them. Here's the problem, right? And yep. then the solution of adoption, all about yeah. rescue and adoption. Then that third part is, here's how, how you yeah. be an activist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, in the first part, when you break down your experiences, things that you've seen, mm -hmm. part of it, I'm not going to lie, was really hard to read. Yeah. And I can imagine that you kind of put the nicer parts in there. Oh yeah, I, you're the only person to say that. I'm glad you picked up on that. That that was one of the things that I struggled with the most is that um, whenever you watch uh, a cruelty video, right? Like it's like half my career has been dogs, and then the other half has been factory farms and slaughterhouses, right? So like any of those videos that you see, I, I know I know personally that you don't see 10% of the stuff that's going on when you see that final video that the animal rights group puts out, right? right. And it was the same with, with rescue dogs is that uh, what would happen is Gene and Nick, they'd have me, we'd worked on different parts of the book. And so I'd write up stories and I'd write it up, send it to them. What do you think of this? What should we work on? Which one should we include or not? Most of the stuff that I wrote, it just, it just 
you know, we, we, we didn't use, we had to use select stories because a lot of it is just, it's these terrible things that happened, but what do you get out of it as a reader reading about right. that? Right. So what's the point? And, and, and for me as a cruelty investigator, and I think your listeners will, will feel this as well, because I'm sure that so many of your listeners are involved with rescue, right? Like you do rescue, you know, you work at, a, you volunteer at a shelter, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, there's these stories of all of these animals and many of them are victims. And the idea that they suffered and that they had uh, an unjust end and that no one gets anything out of that, it breaks your heart, Yeah. right? You want, you want everyone to know, but the, what we've all had to grapple with and what I've had to grapple with every case that I've done is that there's all of these victims, their story will never be told. It's too much for people to want to know. It's too much for people to take in. Um, and, and so Rescue Dogs is something where I'm, I'm extremely proud of this book that we wrote. I ain't gonna lie. It was, it was hard in the process. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I can having to relive all of that stuff that you'd yeah. already been through and then to remember some of the, the, the outcomes that weren't so great. I mean, the, yeah, yeah. There was, there was a lot of that stuff was like digging back through old, like I had to like, I had to go back into old archives to be like, wait, am I getting that detail of that case? Right. And I had to pull out CDs, like, you know, and be like, how do I, where do I find a friggin' CD player to watch this old footage? Like, it's this, yeah. you know, like, you know, and, and trying to look at stuff that, that, you know, and, and then go back and then all of a sudden all that stuff starts coming back, mm-hmm. you know? Um, because I think even when you're involved with rescue, I think that's something else you can relate to is like, you see so many animals come and go, you, you start to forget. Yeah. Right. And, and part of the reason you forget is it's a defense mechanism, yes. you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's difficult when you then have to give that information out. But that was part of the healthy experience for me with rescue dogs was, was grappling with, okay, I have all this information. What do I want to do with it? Is it that, you know, uh, uh, and, and listeners, I'm not trying to upset you, but again, it's like my, uh, the, the majority of my work has been undercover. So when I've, I've worked undercover at puppy mills, so if, you can, you know, I don't have to go into a lot of detail for people to imagine if you're working undercover at a place where animal cruelty is the norm, you know, your, your day to day is pretty bad. Right. And so, you know, I, I was having to deal with things where, you know, it's that, it's that I'm, I'm, I'm doing and not doing things where every day it's making me, you know, I know why I'm doing it. It's making me hate myself, but I know why I'm doing it to try and shut a place down. Right. And then, and then, and that in that moment, knowing literally, I'm not saving this dog, and I know this dog is going to die, because, but hopefully I can then save all of these others. So if, if I can do that on these cases, surely then I can be responsible enough to understand I have to leave some of those stories out so that people can be inspired by some of the, the better stories. It's just... Any, anybody in rescue, anybody in rescue, I, I don't blame them for flinching when they hear that. You know, it's, it's hard for me to even say. Yeah. So I know um, I listened to your interview with Ben Kissel. Oh, yeah. Great. I awesome. Love that guy. I love Ben and, you know, all oh, the last podcast guys. Yeah. Um, 
So in there, you were talking about um, how, because for most people, it's like, well, obviously these are really bad people working in puppy mills in on factory farms and you know it's their fault Mm -hmm. but in that other interview you talked about how it it, it's less about the people and more about the environment that they're in absolutely yeah um yeah so there's um if you want, I can briefly go through the five things that create predictable animal cruelty in a commercial environment. Yes, please. Okay, all right, here you go. So if, yeah, if you've ever watched videos of like, of, of you know, farms or puppy mills, you're like, why are people beating these animals? Don't they make money off them? Why are they? Here we go, real simple. First thing is the stress of the work environment. I know that a lot of people out there have hard jobs. I'm going to tell you, until you've worked at a slaughterhouse or a factory farm, it's like, you, it, it is this, you, you may not understand until you have to do it. it is this inhuman uh, uh, amount, almost in, inhuman amount of pressure they put on you? You know, I've been injured, developed carpal tunnel from it. I've, I remember my first job at a slaughterhouse having to, uh, being on the live hang line, having to hang turkeys um, when they were alive to go in to then go get their throats cut. I honestly was worried I was going to cry. But yeah. And I was, I thought I was tough. Like I was all into like, I worked out a lot and I was racing motocross and I thought I was a badass. I honestly thought I was going to cry that first day. It was just, insane. I couldn't, I couldn't, it, it was so physically painful to do it. Right. These guys did it like it's nothing. Um, and, you know, when you put on top of that, that, you know, like, especially if you're at a puppy mill, a lot of your time spent, you, you know, could be outdoors and you're working at all elements and there's a horrendous noise and there's all this, the stench of everything. Um, and then you have long days. You right? you often have to work twelve hours a day, six days a week. So that breaks down your will, right? You get exhausted. It breaks down your will, and that is when you can predict that people are going to do things that they would normally swear they would never do. Like this stupid sow just won't move into her gestation crate. She knows she's supposed to go in there, so you kick her, right? This stupid dog knows that she has to come out of this cage and she's got to go into the whooping cage and have puppies. She won't, she, screw it, I'm just going to slap her and just throw her in, right? That's, that's what people do. Um, and so, you know, it's, 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 they're otherwise good people, but in those stressful environments, especially when they see other people do it, that happens. And so then you have the fact that, that you have the inspectors, right? Like the USDA, you know, um, state inspectors, when they come in and they see problems, they, not all of them, most often they ignore it, right? And say you've got like a puppy mill. You want to sell to a pet store. A lot of pet stores now say, look, if you have violations on your USDA reports, we can't buy from you. The inspector knows that. So if you're the inspector and you show up and you see somebody there and they got this dog and maybe the dog is, you know, is, is looking a little unhealthy or you got to, you haven't cleaned the place in a day, you say, look, I got two kids this is my own, this is my, like, this is, if I don't have the second income, I can't feed them. Are you really going to write me up? I swear this won't be a problem next time. They just let it go. And with law enforcement, it's the same thing. And uh, disclaimer on this, y'all, I got to tell you, I'm not, um, I got friends that are cops. I got friends that are federal agents. Um, I got friends that are ex-law enforcement. If you were a cop listening to this, you have friends or family that are cops. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I got to, I have to tell it to you like I've, like I've lived it. Uh, 99% of the time that I find cruelty that is blatantly egregious cruelty, law enforcement does not do anything about it. Um, I've been 
illegally arrested and convicted of a crime I didn't co commit by a corrupt sheriff. Um, I just I just filmed uh, just recently I, I filmed a cop uh, committing animal cruelty in in Oklahoma. Um, you know it's and so when you when you're a cop and you're an otherwise good person, right? But you live in a community where people make their living off of animals. You're not going to gonna go and enforce like you look at the cruelty statute and you're like, is that when someone starves their horse to death? Right? And it's like, right. well, is that when someone's dog fighting? Like, like they're like, why should I really care if they if they hit a pig, right? Or even if it's dogs in a puppy mill, it's like they view those dogs as livestock, right? I mean, after all, it's the U.S. Department of Agriculture right. that licenses most, like, or if it's a, even if it's a state license, most often it's the State Department of Agriculture. Those dogs are agricultural animals. The cops don't want to go bust them and, and, and then do, you know, take their income. Um, and then you have, uh, you have uh, a felony and immigration status. So a lot of the workers, these places, they're felons, right? They can't get another job or they're undocumented, uh, uh, you know, immigrants. And so it's, you know, uh, uh, if they see something that's illegal or abusive, you don't speak up because then you can be kicked back across the border or then if you're a felon, right? Not only are you a felon, you're a snitch. You never get another job. So you take all this stuff and you combine it into what I call a culture of cruelty. And that is where you've grown up with this. You, uh, all the cops know that this is how it is. Um, uh, you see that the government inspector doesn't care. And so you learn that it's almost like a moral indignation that this kind of abuse and neglect is okay. And here comes this liberal prick from out of state and works undercover and films you against your will doing something that everyone told you is okay. And suddenly you feel as though like you're, you're indignant. You feel as though like you're, you're not only is it, is it that you shouldn't be punished? Like yeah. it's justified for you to abuse these animals, right? It becomes political. So I want to go back. Um, you were talking about the USDA. Yeah. And, you know, animals being viewed as livestock, even if it's dogs and cats. So I'm in Alabama. Yeah. And they, for the past few years, I've seen a bill try to get passed. And for the past few years, there's been one group that's been fighting it and it's um the alabama farmers federation yeah yeah um and it's like you guys were just trying to get adequate shelter for dogs and cats and they're fighting this so hard yes and then i just saw there's another one what was it in texas maybe where they are there's a law that they're trying to put in place where you can't tether your animals Mm -hmm. especially if there's a tornado warning or a flood or things like that. Right. And then the AKC is fighting against it yeah. because they're saying that, oh, it, it's preventing you from safely detaining your animal. That's not even that. Uh, oh yeah. That's no, that, not that's what they're bizarre. saying. So, yeah. So um, uh, there is, uh, there's a group called the Animal Agriculture Alliance and they hate me. Right. They've like they every time I would do a case, uh, they would they would post it online. They're like, this guy, he did these other cases and we shouldn't like it. So, and so what would happen quite literally is that I would do a case or and then, and then and then they'd out other they would out other investigators as well. They just started with me. Right. But so we would do a case. We would show that there's clearly 
violations of the law, like illegal animal cruelty, and they would say, don't let anyone do a case like this again, protect your farm, this is bad, this happened, right? And, and, and so not only is that just bizarre, right? But they, would, they worked to get all farmers of anyone involved with animals and agriculture together and to, to try to keep activists out of their farms, keep undercover investigators out of their farms, right? Don't let the public know what's going on. Well, a lot of people that used to raise hogs and used to raise chickens, they started switching over to puppies, right? And it's that, you know, you can have a, a, a larger amount of head and a smaller amount of space, especially because you can stack them with chickens, you can't do that, right? I mean, you're not gonna have as many you're not gonna have thousands of, of puppies whereas you'd have, or dogs, whereas you'd have thousands of chickens. But in the amount of space, it's like you have this large amount of head, you're getting a way higher price per head than you would with a bird or a hog or anything like that. Um, so these, but they bring the mentality, the livestock mentality to what they're doing with dogs or cats. And they're still a part of these farming communities. And uh, that has made it where you have uh, uh, people that work to try to stop any kind of laws to, that will affect animal welfare for farm animals, that always in their minds, that absolutely applies to dogs as well. Yeah. yeah. So I want to go back to the book. Um, you talk about brokers and licensed brokers. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know something like that existed. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, that's a big thing. Yeah. So can you explain what brokers are and then who oversees those licenses? Sure, sure. So, um, okay, brokers are licensed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, because, again, because again that, that makes sense, right? You're talking about dogs, right. agriculture. So, so they license them. And um, uh, they, have, they license breeders. They license people that transport puppies. And they license brokers who are people that buy puppies from breeders and resell them, right? So for example, I worked undercover at one of the largest brokers in the U.S. At the time was called Hunt Corporation. Um, they've since changed their names, you know, a couple of times. But uh, uh, when I was there, it was 3,000 puppies at a time were at that facility. And they would, they would send out vans that would go pick up puppies from all across the country. People would come in from all over Missouri and the Midwest, and then they'd, they'd sell their puppies, the whole litters, right? So a broker, you have a benefit where they'll say, I'll take the whole litter unless something's messed up with one, right? Like, I'll just, I'll take the whole litter. And then they sell them. Generally, then they sell them to pet stores. Um, and the, the problem with brokers is that it, it can affect transparency, right? You may be getting from a broker. You don't necessarily realize you're getting from a breeder. It also makes it easier for them to, to, uh, uh, to, to bypass state law, such as in California, you got this law um, that says uh, you cannot sell uh, a puppy from a pet store uh, unless the puppy comes from a rescue, right? And a lot of places are passing laws like this, and I support it. It's, I'm really big on it. Um, right. I do work with a, a Companion Animal Protection Society, um, I also work for HSUS, you know, like they're really big on like passing these laws, right? And, and for, uh, for the Companion Animal Protection Society, CAPS, I did a thing where uh, I went, when I went to all the California stores and, and, noted, and, and noted they're lying about where their puppies come, come from. And I visited the breeders. They passed this law later. A lot of groups worked on that. They passed this law. And then we start seeing there's this USDA licensed broker that was selling to the pet stores called Jax 
out of Britt, Iowa, just buys up puppies from all over the country, sends them out to stores, Latin California. Well, all of a sudden, Jack's becomes replaced with this other place called Hobo Canine. And Hobo Canine was acting as a, quote, rescue, like a nonprofit. They weren't actually even registered as a nonprofit. Hobo Canine and Jack's are both owned by a woman named JoLynn Nothi. And JoLynn decided, okay, if the stores in California can only buy from rescues, what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy all these puppies. And if I can sell them to a pet store in, uh, say, in New Jersey, I'm going to do it under Jack's, my USDA licensed broker business. But if I'm selling to California, I'm just going to say that they're rescues. And then what California could do with that is California could then say the puppy came from Hobo Canine, but not reveal the breeder that sold it to them because it's a rescue and they don't, they're not required by law to reveal that. So those kinds of laws are easily bypassed and USDA brokers are the ones who very often bypass them. It's the nature of the business. It's bizarre, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think it was in your interview with Ben, you had talked about brokers setting up 501c3s. Some of them do. They actually set up a nonprofit. And yeah. How do they, how, how does that even happen? How is that possible? Perfectly legal, right? And here's what they do is like, it's like, whereas Jolyn didn't even bother to set up the 501c3, which you could, yeah. let's just say you're, you just, you're licensed by the USDA and you start buying from breeders and you're selling to pet stores all over you know, Alabama, Mississippi, right? And all of a sudden you're like, Ooh, I really want to sell to California, right? I really want to sell to like, you know, uh, uh, Illinois, right? You know, and, but I can't because I can't sell from a breeder. Well, you set up a 501c3, right? And that 501c3, quote, adopts the puppies or rescues the puppies from the same breeders you're already buying from, for the same amount of money you would already pay, and then you sell the quote rescues to those pet stores. It's perfectly legal. You just call it a rescue. That's it. So the, the, the way to get past it is that when places pass laws, they need to say that there has to be no monetary interest for the pet store in any uh, puppy, kitten, rabbit, dog, or cat that they sell. If that legal language is not in there, it's super easy to get past the law. Yeah. I feel like that just taints the 501c3 status for all actual reputable rescues. Oh yeah, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, there's a, there's rescues that do this, but also there's, in fact, uh, CAPS, we're, we're dealing with a, uh, an unregistered rescue. So they're not actually a nonprofit out of Kansas right now called Camp Mary Sunshine. And um, she was in Florida. Now it's this woman, she went up to, to, to Kansas and she has this place where she goes to auctions and buys dogs or she buys puppies from breeders and then resells them and just calls them rescues and then asks for donation to do it, right? Yeah, it gives all rescues a bad name. Uh, but it, the, the, the bright side is that super easy to figure this out. If you're, if you're a customer and you walk into a pet store and you're like, that's a little purebred Yorkie for $4,000. Probably not a rescue. Right. <laughs> right? It's right. pretty easy. Yeah. Now, when you say that uh, the way in when they're writing the laws, the way to get around this broker issue of selling to pet stores, um, making sure there's no monetary interest, does that mean that the 
the rescue animals have to be just given to the pet store or no it's, so so what it would mean is that the pet store does nothing but supply a place for free for a rescue like say like a foster based rescue would be ideal mm-hmm. to come in and say we're going to put these animals here and then we're going to hang out and we're going to adopt them out and you're just going to allow us the space to do yeah. Right. And then if when you do that, you can say, and now that you did that, would you like to buy doggy shampoo and clippers and all that stuff? Right. Yeah. But that the pet store doesn't actually receive any money for doing it at all. So I kind of like what Petco and PetSmart exactly. do. Exactly. They have adoption events, but yeah, yeah the money so does not go through them at all. Yeah. No, Petco, Petco and PetSmart have been doing this this whole time. Right. right. And somehow nobody else figured out, oh, just, just do what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's frustrating. Oh my God. Yeah. So now also when talking about brokers, there's is it class B brokers. Yeah. So if you're, if you are a broker, if you're going to buy and then resell, right. Um, uh, you have to be a, a class B or if you're selling for resale, like you're like, I'm going to sell to, if, yeah, like, like, so like essentially if you buy and you sell to pet stores, or I guess, you, you know, you could buy and sell to the customers, but you didn't breed them yourself. That's a class B. Okay. If you're breeding yourself and then you're selling, that's a class A. Okay. Right. And what some pet stores do though, I, oh, I've seen this in New York. I saw this like dozens of work is, is I'd go in there and I'd be like, so, and what they did go, as A breeders, that means that A, that means a New York accent, right? But they're like, they would say that class A meant better than class B or, or C. And like class C doesn't even exist. Yeah. It's just a lie. Yeah. Right. Now with class B brokers, I know in the book you had talked about uh, one of them, and I think there's so much information in there. So I may be like confusing. Oh yeah. And it's all good. Yeah. But um, (laughs) there was one broker that you had gone undercover to and um, it's the one that would sell the uh, fecal worms or the heartworms and sell these animals to research. Yes. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So um, that was my first target. And what they were doing is, is that was Martin Creek Kennel. They were licensed by the USDA to sell to research. Now, say you raise your own dogs and you sell them to research, class A license, just like you're breeding your own puppies and you're selling them on the internet or you're selling them to a pet store. Whereas Martin Creek Kennel was buying, they were, te- they were breeding some of their own dogs, but 90% of them, they bought from other people. They would buy from whoever and then sell to research labs across the country. And uh, part of the problem there is that some of those dogs were stolen pets. I mean, they were clearly stolen pets, right? Um, so, so because they're selling to experimentation, part of what some people wanted was like, if, if dogs would, uh, if, if they would let dog, they would put dogs in, in these pens and then they would check their feces. And if they had any kind of worm, they came in with a worm, tapeworm or, or you know, whatever they would sell the worms to research and then they wouldn't bother to treat the dogs. So the, the dogs would all get dewormed at a certain point, but if it wasn't that time, they just wouldn't get dewormed and then they would just die. 
they had 600 dogs at a time, they just didn't care, right? And there were literally meth heads working the place, they just didn't care, right? Um, and, and other dogs, you know, so they, and then they would test every dog that came in for heartworm because the heartworms were worth a lot to research, right? The dogs are selling for like, at the time they were selling for like 250 to $500 uh, each to research. I don't know what the heartworms were worth, but it must've been a lot. So they would kill the dogs and then they would take their hearts out, pull the heartworms out and then sell those little jars of heartworms off. Um, yeah, and, uh, and, and that is, and, and so that, that the class B dealer system is not, it's used as much now for supplying research. Um, there was a lot of pound seizure uh, that was used, which is where pounds sell directly to research, but that is uh, really falling by the wayside in the US as well. So now it's a lot of people breeding dogs specifically for research. Hate that so much. Yeah, it, it's it's got off. It's got off. I mean, it's not, honestly, it's what is it? Ninety five percent of animal testing, if it's proven to be safe or non toxic in an animal, is it fails in humans ninety five percent of the time. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's not. It, you know, and especially with dogs, it's like okay, we don't need to be testing any more cosmetics. Like, come on, y'all. No. We don't need all them rabbits or dogs or. We don't need, you know, um, and, and I get, look, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm full on vegan and I don't use products tested on animals, but you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I try to be level-headed, like I'm vaccinated, right. You know, I'm vaccinated and boosted. Right. I'm not going to like, I know it was tested on animals, but right. what I'm way I, 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 I didn't pay for it and I'm trying to not kill people. Like, you know, but, but when it comes to dogs and research, I think we're definitely at the point where, especially when you consider that a lot of the dogs that are used, it's not like they just look at them and say, this is the best scientific subject to use. They look at them and they say, well, let's get, let's get beagles because they're docile and they're short haired. So it's easier to get through to their skin. That's not a, it's not a great reason, you know? No. So I, I think we, I think uh, uh, one of the things that I struggle with uh, in the U S cause I've, I've done, I've done work, uh, I've done work in India, Brazil, Philippines, and Mexico, wow. a lot of Mexico work. And, uh, one of the things that I struggle with is that, you know, we have a lot of things in this country where we believe people that aren't in the know think that we're, we're culturally beyond a lot of the things that were not passed. Right. Um, law enforcement corruption is one of them that I encounter a lot. Uh, but the other thing is, is, you know, our treatment of, of all animals, including dogs. You know, I think that, I think that ha there's a, a, about half the country views dogs in, in, in a certain way that the other half does not and just tries to keep hidden. Don't let them know that we're doing this and everything will be okay. And, and that's part of why I think my book is controversial is that the point is to shine light on that, yeah. you know, and, and it's, it's, I think where, where it matters to, to rescue is that I have found that a lot of people in the rescue community are unaware that there's this direct connection between puppy mills and dogs and shelters, right? The reason there's so many dogs and shelters is because people keep buying from breeders, mm -hmm. right? If, 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 if we could pass laws to ban these pet stores, um, some people are still going to buy online, but not nearly as many. And you'd see better adoptions, and I think that would help close that that gap of this this uh of the amount of people that are are seeing things so differently. Yeah, I think sometimes the mindset that people have when it's like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, with yeah. puppy mills is, well, fine, you shut down all these puppy mills, but all of these animals have to go somewhere, so then it's going to make them homeless too. 
Yeah, see, it doesn't work like that. Like, <laughs> I, okay, I, I remember I did this interview with uh, uh, this guy named Ed Winters. So he's known as Earthling Ed. He's got the Disclosure podcast, right? And I and and he's like, he's like the smart. He's written this fantastic book called uh, the book is called uh, This Is Vegan Propaganda. It's an amazing book. He's he's this incredible intellectual and philosopher. So he asked these very thoughtful, deep questions, and he goes, "Well, Pete, what if?" You know, would would you be against breeding if if you know if there's no uh, uh, there's no animals left in shelters, there's nothing left to adopt, right? And I said like to Ed, I go, Ed, I'm going to give you a bullshit answer. I'm going to say, eh, I don't know, right? And the reason is because it's like if if we ever get to a point, which he took it well, I was glad <laughs> he took it very. He's such a smart guy. Just gave this BS answer, right? But it's like if we get to a point in this country where the, the shelters are literally empty. I do not know what the physical, cultural, political climate um, is, is, is gonna look like. And uh, that will change everything for whether I say we should, we, if and how we should be breeding animals, right? Um, so I, I think that, that the idea that, that simply it's all gonna happen at once it, there's there's just no way it's not, it's not like all of a sudden we're going to pass a law and say we we banned breeding now all the dogs are gone it, it's going to be a very gradual process yeah yeah and i mean even if we do ban breeding they you know these breeders what do they do with all their puppies they're just going to let them go i mean no it's not it's not, it's not, not. no 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 there's so okay um you know, so okay. Uh, one of the arguments that I that I hear is, uh, uh, for example, an argument I hear against the pet store ban is, um, and I, I've I've heard this from people that are at animal control facilities as well. Um, they'll say like, we support the puppy stores because if you don't have the puppy stores, everyone's going to buy on the black market or they're going to buy online, right? If you ban the breeders, they're all just what they're just going to dump them all. It's like, well, that's not the case, right? Um, Breeders being banned, typically when laws like that, uh, so, so no, breeding has never been banned in any capacity. Um, what There have been breeders that have said, I've gotten, like, they've gotten upset and killed their dogs. You know, there's a, an infamous Amish breeder did that, right? Um, uh, but, you know, just sort of shotgunning his dogs, literally, right? But that's extremely rare. I mean, they're worth money, right? So typically what happens is that you pass a law that says something like you can't keep dogs in cages, and you have to clean the enclosure every 24 hours, right? It's like, well, I have 400 dogs. I can't, I can't keep them on the ground and clean it every day. You can't have 400 dogs, right? This law takes, will take effect in a year. Well, they start selling dogs, right? And if you pass a pet store ban, it's not like everybody buys online. People go to pet stores because number one, predatory lending techniques. I've worked undercover at a pet store. And part of my job was I had to sell puppies to people that couldn't afford it and didn't even plan on going in there to buy a puppy, right? And it's, I'm going to hell for that, but that's what I had to do to maintain that, to, yeah. to be undercover at the pet store. It, it, I worked at a pet land in Ohio. That's how they do it, right? And they use predatory lending techniques where like, they'll be like, ah, oh, it's, yeah, the puppy's $4,000, but you get all this great stuff. And look, you only have to pay 200 a month. They don't even mention APR, right? They don't even, they, they just try and push you into it. Also, they give you a warranty. Pet stores give warranties, right? You don't get a warranty when you buy a puppy at a Walmart parking lot or online, right? So when you have this warranty, like, oh, whoa, this looks really good. Like I, I might not have otherwise bought a puppy, but wait, it's a warranty. 
they got they got uh you know um they got like financing and i get all this stuff and i'm face to face with a person who's telling me look our our breeders let their dogs run around in lush grassy grassy yards all day like here's a video of it that's how they all are i swear right you're not that that encounter is not going to happen when you're online and you're looking right uh caps constantly we, we get complaints from people that say i went online to buy a puppy but i looked them up and this is what i found right and at the pet store when you're face to face you have this different kind of interaction you have this interaction where and as an undercover investigator i swear to this people will constantly make decisions against their own self-interest rather than do something that is socially awkward, right? Mm -hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten into a puppy mill because the person, they should not let me in. They know that their place looks like hell. They should not let me in. They can't bring themselves to say no. It would just feel too weird to be yeah. like, you need to get the hell out, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and so people end up buying puppies when they otherwise wouldn't. Well, a certain amount of those people will adopt because when you go to a rescue, you go to a shelter, you're face-to-face -face with someone saying, this we we're not going to give you a puppy and you're going to hope this puppy has the right personality right? right you can't just make mold a personality right we're going to find the right dog for you this dog's going to be healthier than the puppy at a pet store like you know we're we also we're going to recommend a vet right people like that experience so i think that that's a point that gets missed by a lot of people when they think you know you create a ban and then there's dogs flooding the streets yeah Is there a better way to classify animals in the way that laws are written? Because I know, you know, like we've talked about already, mm -hmm. and as I've seen in the laws here, all in, dogs, cats are essentially classified under agriculture. I mean, even the cruelty laws all fall kind of under that egg heading so i mean is there how do we even do that how do we get stuff like that changed you need to classify them as non-human persons because people have certain rights under the law um and if that sounds crazy to anybody don't forget that we have we define corporations as people corporations are non-human persons right? what yeah co corporations have the rights of people i mean that's that's, you know, the Supreme Court ruled on that, right? And so it's, you know, uh, that, that's part of what allows them to make big, you know, campaign contributions, right? And so you have, uh, oh my God, I don't even, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm forgetting the country, but I know that in South America, there's a country where uh, there's certain types of primates that have been called non-human persons. There's efforts right now to give certain bodies of nature, um, forests and, and bodies of water uh, to, to classify them as non-human people, because once the term person is used, there's rights that can legally be afforded to them that otherwise could not, right? Um, so, you know, part of it is that we try to say, like in, like in the animal rights movement a lot, and in rescue, a lot of us try to say, we're all animals, right? But, I know, but that doesn't click with a lot of people, and it, that, that does nothing when you go to court. Mm -hmm. We're saying that we're all people does it another way. Um, the thing that I rail against that I'm, I'm sure you heard me uh, uh, talk about with, uh, with Ben Kissel is that um, uh, the reason that our laws are written the way they are is because we have these anthropocentric laws that are based on teleological thinking, right? The idea that everything exists for a purpose. 
fissure in the sea for us to eat them. Um, uh, you know, the, the forests are here for us to cut them down and use them. Dogs exist for us to do what we want with it. So in rescue, we say dogs exist for a reason, and that's to love and be loved. But the puppy miller says, these dogs' reason is to be bred. And I say I'm calling BS on the whole thing, that yeah. nothing, there's no scientific evidence that anything exists for a reason. We create reasons for them. And we create laws that reflect the reasons we believe that they have. The problem is that those anthropocentric laws become, once they get past, that affects our culture, that solidifies our thinking about it. Uh, I think that's the biggest reason that I have trouble with uh, when I have a cruelty case uh, with law enforcement not taking it. Is a cop looks at the evidence and says, yeah, but that's why those animals are there. Yeah. I mean, I know that's a, that's a big complaint here too people say, oh, well, no one's doing anything. You know, I've, I've seen this dog, um, you know, it doesn't have adequate shelter. The way the law is written, technically it does. Right. Yeah. I, I just had a, uh, a neglect case in Kansas um, just two weeks ago. And it was this guy, he's got some of these border collies and these little crates and it's like they're chewing the, the they got because kind of like plastic cages and they're chewing through the plastic right because they're so bored it's like they're yeah. just they're just going crazy and so i looked at the kansas law and decided that means that they're not getting enough exercise as necessary for that type of animal technically it's a violation the da looked at it and the da said i've seen dogs in worse conditions in their yards and it's like well, just because you've seen worse doesn't mean this is legal, right? But it's that, the, but those border collies, they're, you know, the term that the breeder used was cow dog. They're cow dogs, right? So I'm sure the DA looked at it and was like, well, that's what you do with cow dogs. Yeah. 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 So I yeah. think that's where people just get this idea like, oh, well, law enforcement is choosing not to do something when really it goes back to the laws. I mean, they're there to, they're kind of, their hands are tied to a well, certain- So sometimes their hands are tied. Sometimes you're very much right. Sometimes their hands are tied. And if there's technical food, water, and shelter, there's nothing they can do as written. But a lot of the stuff, like, I mean, I had, you know, I'm, again, okay, listeners, I'm not going to go into great detail. I'm not trying to make you cry. Okay. But it's like, I mean, I, I mean, when, when I have seen, I have seen people, you know, use, use, baby calves as punching bags. I have seen people, you know, beat, punch cow. I, I saw somebody literally waterboard a cow at a dairy, just use a water hose to shoot water up her, up her nose and mouth. Um, I, I've seen people, you know, jab their fingers into, into hogs eyes and, 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 you know, and, and, you know, punch dogs in the faces and all this stuff. And it's clearly, it's against the law. It's causing unnecessary suffering right 90 well over 90 percent of the time won't move on right the legal mechanism is there and it exists it's that yeah. it's that i think that part of it is that when they when they see that the law is not applied in extreme circumstances and they see that it's never applied to uh to farm animals under under any circumstances you have these officers that are they're good people right but their boss tells them no or the da right. says you want me to worry about a fucking cow, right? And then they just, they say, okay, I, sorry, I'll, I'll go back to going after the methods. Right. right. 
Yeah. So right. our, 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 uh, typically in the U S we like to think that we like to think that culture does not affect our laws to a great degree, but uh, we're just like anywhere else in the world. You know, it, it plays a major role. Politics and culture play a major role in what laws we have and how we enforce them. Yeah. One thing that I struggle with is, you know, watching some of these videos, like I can read about it and especially yeah. the way you wrote it in your book, mm-hmm. it you give just enough where I can finish the rest in my head okay. and it's not right. pretty. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but then it, it gets to this point where it's like, okay, I know this stuff is happening, but as little old me, what can I do? How can I help? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the one thing to keep in mind uh, is that, you know, puppy mills and shelters, that fight is completely intertwined right? The more that we promote adoption, the less puppy mills there will be, period. Uh, The more that we fight dog breeding, um, the more adoptions there will be. So I understand that, um, I understand that not every breeder is a large commercial operation that is beating the hell out of their dogs. Um, And uh, listeners, I'm not trying to offend you. So but I, I got to give another disclaimer. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's part of why my book is controversial. Um, right. I know my interviews can be controversial. Uh, so listeners, if I say something that upsets you, uh, please don't just turn off the interview. Please at least try to understand where I'm coming from on this is that I, I, some of the, some of your listeners, they may breed dogs. They may have like, I have a couple dogs and I breed them. I'm sure you love your dogs. You're not bad people. But when I hear the term responsible breeder, um, what it makes me think is that if someone is truly being responsible, they will promote adoption as opposed to breeding. And the reason is that every puppy that gets bred and sold, that's one less dog that gets adopted, right? We could be like, so, so when, 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 you, when you see the kind of videos from like what, what I do and, and you see like, oh my God, these horrible dogs spinning in cages and they're, and they're dying in puppy mills and it's awful, literally, the thing that 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 supports uh, the fight against that is just promoting adoption, volunteering at your local shelter, fostering dogs. Um, like I said, I work for CAPS. I work for HSUS. I feel perfectly comfortable saying on behalf of those organizations, if you're like, which one do I donate to? Donate to your local shelter. You know, it, it makes such an enormous difference. Um, and of course, you know, if you're wondering uh, what can I do about all of these other horrible things happening to animals and the destruction of the planet, Beyond Burger and Impossible Burger is making some pretty good stuff right now. I'm just going to say. Um, yes, <laughs> it is delicious. Yeah, I've, I've been eating a lot of Burger King on the road with that Impossible Whopper, I'm going to tell you. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, but the, 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 the KF, all KFC uh, locations do not have the Beyond Chicken. Yeah. So I was very disappointed by that. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It'll get so, there. Yeah. But no, it, it's, easy, it's easy to make a difference. Um, and I know a lot of people feel like I'm not, um, a lot of people feel, I constantly have people in rescue and they do foster work and they do rescue and, and they work at shelters and, and volunteer and they'll say like, what can I do? And I, I think, holy crap, you're already doing it. Like, why are you mm-hmm. so worried? Right. I can't tell you how many times I've had like a day of just you know, 
where I'm just like, I'm driving around or I'm trying to get into a place that's not working or I'm, you know, sitting in the bushes doing surveillance. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, yes. it's like, we all, we all have those days. We all have those weeks and months, you know, uh, um, if you're involved with rescue, you're part of the solution. Yeah. I, um, you know, thinking back to like puppy mills and everything, like there are breed specific rescues. And I yes. think that's one thing that people don't really think about. I mean, you want that golden doodle? Pull up Google right now. Pull up Google and type in golden doodle rescue. Boom. You're going to find yeah, so many. Done. Yeah. And, and, and they and, have puppies too. And that's yes, the thing. There's like, always puppies. There's, there's always puppies in rescue. Puppies. I know. Oh my God. I, and, and you know, the thing is, is that, yes, yeah, so if you want a puppy, absolutely you can find a puppy. But the, the advantage of the adult dog that a lot of people don't know is, uh, first of all, you don't have to worry about a lot of, you don't have to worry about like parvo, a lot of the diseases that like puppies are going to get. Yeah. That dog's going to be healthy. The dog yep. is, especially if the dog comes from a shelter, the dog's already vaccinated. Right. It's not like at the pet store where like the puppies got snot coming out of their nose. Like, well, they've gotten their first couple rounds. You might want to, might want to, you know, get another round and good luck with that. Right. It's, it's that, you know, the, the dog's, the dog's fine. Also is that we have, uh, we have this belief. Anyone in rescue knows this is that we have this belief. Uh, many people believe that we can use nurture to overcome nature. Not true. Right. You have a, you have some dogs are are just are, are are who they are and and it doesn't it like like oh okay here's another thing in rescue a lot of people know is that you get a dog that comes in and sometimes like they're scared like oh that dog must have been abused some dogs are just scared of stuff right that's right? just the way that they are do you right? not have fears of anything yeah like, i'm yeah, afraid yeah. of spiders guess what i've never been bitten by one i've never been attacked by one i'm yeah, that, afraid of spiders right. like that's exactly just the thing. <laughs> yeah that's just the way it is right yeah you know, um, but if, but I, 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 and so I think that, that once you realize that you can realize, okay, I, I got a puppy, but despite all the best training, I don't know who this puppy is. This puppy might hate my kids. I don't know. Right. If you are, if you're in a situation where you're like, I have a special needs kid and I need the right pet, that's going to fit in with that family. Adoption is your only smart option. Buying a puppy from a breeder is not the way to go. You don't know who that puppy is ultimately going to be. There's enormous advantages to adoption. I think it's just a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people think of the shelter and they think of like this terrible place where dogs go in and maybe they're killed and then some come out. They don't understand how many fantastic rescues are out there. Yeah, I mean, even, so I interviewed um, the director of the National Mill Dog, National Mill Dog Rescue. Yeah, it sounds right, yeah. They're out of Colorado. And, um, just some of the stuff that she's talked about, I mean, breeders, their tactics for getting around, because one thing that people say, if you're going to buy from a breeder, make sure you go to their house and you see where the animal is kept and see that they're cared for great in theory, in theory, but she told a story about how these multiple breeders got together and rented this beautiful house. Yes, they do that. And so then when they had puppies to sell, they would say, oh yes, come to this house. Look, you see the mom and the dad, yep, and the puppies absolutely. And everything's beautiful. And our house is beautiful and it's so well-maintained. That's not the reality. Yeah, I, I encounter that all the time. And I, I constantly, uh, I like, like one of the things is that there's a lot of uh, pet lands, pet stores that they like to say, 
Look at the, we have pictures and videos. These are the breeders. Look at these spacious mm -hmm. kennels. There's dogs running in yards. Vast majority of puppy mills, they don't have any yards that they're running around in, right? And, and even if they do have an exercise yard, it's usually like it's a, it's a smaller area with a rock flooring and the dogs are not in it every day. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like it's most of the places you can debunk that by looking, getting the address and looking at a satellite image and being like, where the hell's the exercise? <laughs> like you're making this right. up. Right. But when it comes to, but even then, a lot of those, a lot of pet stores will say the breeder is a, they'll say that the breeder comes from far away because they have so much space in the Midwest for dogs to run, or they're, they're just, they're professional, but look, it's a small family operation and it's, it's a full on mill. But if, but what I've been, been encountering a lot for the internet breeders is exactly what you're saying is that I'll find people and I'm like, wait a second, why are there all these phone numbers and all these email addresses going to different people? And why is there one address, right? And I've had some of them even tell me, oh yes, we're actually, we're a group of breeders and this is where you go to, you know, to look at the puppies, right? And it's, yeah, it's, you're, you're right. It's, it's, it's so easy to, to get past that stuff. But I, I talk about in, uh, in the book, how I found a USDA licensed breeder who says we raise the puppies in the home. And I'm like, yeah, everyone says that, right? And they're like, and you can come and you can visit us. And I thought, well, I got to take them up on that, right? right. So yeah, yeah, I went out to that breeder, Wanda's Little Stars in Donovan, Nebraska. And I saw some Huskies in one area and then I saw these chihuahuas and the chihuahuas were in dog pens, but they weren't like the worst dog pens, you know, a little more space, like little crushed rock, you know, runs, they could run back and forth in, right? But it was something. And so, uh, you know, I, and super nice people, um, you know, the, the, uh, the husband, the father, you know, he was a, a, a veteran, you know, I mean, super nice people and um, brought me inside to look at the puppies. And I was like, oh my God, they actually have puppies inside. They did, they, they had cribs converted into these little like whelping boxes yeah. for these chihuahua mothers and the puppies. And one, there was this, there was uh, uh, this, this one little crib had a, this mother with these two puppies and, and the puppies didn't have their eyes open yet, but one was like a, a healthy pink and one was a dark purple. And when I, and he picked up the puppy and handed it to me and the puppy was cold and he's, and I was like, what's wrong with this puppy? He goes, eh, sometimes they just die, you know, and she's giving it sugar syrup, but might not make it. And I look at the mother and her tongue is hanging straight down. And I said, well, is she missing? Like, what's, what's wrong with her bottom jaw? And he goes, oh yeah, you know, it, it like, it, it, uh, I think he said it was, it, it, it got caught on something and she has no bottom jaw. Like it got, it got ripped off, right? So you have this, this mother chihuahua with no bottom jaw nursing a dead puppy in the house, right? And they're like, yeah, we're proud of this. No one has a problem with this. So then, so now that was a little more obvious, but what wasn't obvious is that when I, when I went back out to the kennel and then I asked, I said, do you have a breeder that won't breed for you? Cause I don't want to pay a bunch of money for that, but you know, for like a hundred bucks um, or it would, yeah, it was just, just about that. I was able to get uh, uh, Emma. I think it was like 300. I was able to get this, this, this breeding chihuahua named Emma. And so she, she was running away from him and he had to, tr tr you know, he had to go out and grab her. And I don't know how Emma got so fat, but she's like a potato with legs, right? And he hands me Emma and she's terrified. But I look at her teeth and her, her teeth were rotting out of her head so bad that she had to have over 20 teeth pulled. The infection had, had gone from her teeth into her nasal cavity and had caused a heart arrhythmia, right? But he told me he's got a USDA inspector, he's got a state inspector, and he has a dentist, a veterinary dentist from the state comes by once a year. And despite all of that, 
That's the condition that the dogs were in. And from working undercover at Puppy Mills and then ha and having an opportunity where I can actually go up and like, you know, hold the dog, I picked, right? Um, and see that it was, it was a lesson understanding things not what seen, right? You can, and that's why I'm so against breeding is you can't just trust a picture. You can't just trust someone's word. Like you're saying, you can't even trust it when they say, come to my house. Right. Yeah. And I remember that story and the, the point of it was, or one of the takeaways that I got was it doesn't matter if it's a big operation or a small operation. These people still view these animals as a product. They view it as a thing, as a yes. way to make money. It's not, they're not necessarily treated as living sentient beings. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Emma was just like a, she was just a thing. She was there. She wouldn't breed. So we'll just hang on to her till someone, maybe we can get, get a little bit out of her. Right. You know, and we don't want to feed their coffers, but if we could rescue, we would. And, and yeah, that's, um, um, you know, Emma had a purpose to them, right. God put Emma there to make money for them. Right. You know, and she wasn't breeding, she wasn't making money. So, you know, not, not worth a, not worth a whole lot. Yeah. Why does it take so long and require so much evidence to prosecute these cases? Like in some of these stories, you've had to go in for months at a time yeah. collecting information. And it just feels like the first day that you see something, you should be able to take that evidence to a prosecutor or someone and say, hey, this is what's happening. Shut them mm -hmm. down, you know, but it. Yeah. So in, in some instances, it's that, um, uh, like with like with uh, the Martin Creek Kennel case, um, it's in the Dealing Dogs documentary. Um, it's in that chapter called A Rebel, right? In, yes. in that one. Uh, that's because I was, what they don't explain in the documentary, that documentary focuses on the animal cruelty, is that I was after fraud, right? They were, they were selling dogs to labs out of state, but they were getting the health certificates pre-signed by a vet. Yeah. And we had reason to believe that. And so I took me months before I could access those forms. I had to get into their office of their home when they weren't there. I was allowed in, right? No one right. said, don't come in. So like when they were, they were gone at that moment. So I went in, I found those, uh, those forms in, in a drawer and, and, and documented them. And, but whereas with most cases, it's not, it's not that. Most cruelty cases, you show up, and it's usually within the first one to three days, the longest it's ever taken me is four, where you start seeing routine cruelty violations. I mean, people beating the hell out of animals, animals dying of neglect, and people saying, eh, whatever, just leave them, right? Um, um, uh, uh, I remember showing up at, at one dairy, and, and within 45 minutes, my first day on the shift at, at, this, at a dairy, um, I saw a downed cow, and someone was, was hitting her with a handheld taser to try to get her out. It's like, it's just like, you're going to see it quick, right? And you have to show a pattern because it does not matter that there's a violation. I can virtually promise you anywhere in the U.S. you see a violation like that. Prosecutors just, they're not going to care. They're going to believe that if we prosecute them for this, they know, they'll, 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 they'll say no one's doing that, but they know everyone's doing it, right? Like in fact, that case with the handheld taser, other workers had charges pressed on them for beating the animals. The, the, the owner did Right. Um, but that guy who was shocking then, he was a manager. And I went to court. Um, a guy pled not guilty, then he pled guilty right as I was there in court. But the uh, uh, so I met the sheriff in person while I was waiting to see if I had to go testify. And I asked the sheriff in person, 
of Twin Falls County, Idaho. Why is it, uh, yeah, Twin Falls County asked, why is it you didn't recommend to the DA to bring charges against that guy who shot this cow? And he said to me, well, that's what I do to cows that won't stand on my ranch, right? You cannot get one violation, they will not bring charges. You have to show a pattern, right? And when you show a pattern, the problem though is that we tend to focus on filing charges against the workers. And for reasons that I've, I, I explained earlier, if we can predict what they're gonna do, how much can we just blame them, right? So then what you gotta do is you gotta, you show up what's going on, but you also have to show management or an owner is responsible. So uh, as an example of that, um, I was working on a, a hog farm and um, I would show that people were, you know, they weren't euthanizing animals properly and animals were left alive to suffer after being improperly euthanized and people were beating animals. So I, I would go to the owner. Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was this place called West Coast Farms and Tyson, was the uh, the company that uh, had uh, was what he was contracting with, right? And and he and so when I got there, when I first applied for the job, he told me this is 2013. He, he goes, no animal abuse. If you abuse an animal, I'll call the cops on you. I'm like, ooh, okay, let's see what you got, right? Yeah. And so I show up, and of course people are beating the hell out of all the animals. And so I would go to him and I'd be like, man, uh, you know, like there's like I just. He found a live pig in the freezer. He's like, oh, we can't have that. And I was like, yeah, and, oh, and that one sow wouldn't get up. And, you know, that guy was just even like jabbing her in the eyes. She wouldn't move. Sorry, we're trying to get her moved. Like, oh, we can't have that. And so I, I informed him of cruelty. Then I went to the workers while we're on lunch break. And I'm like, yo, is, is the boss giving y'all crap about animal cruelty? Like, is he had to, had to talk to y'all about that again? And everyone shook their heads. I'm like, I'm the only one he's talking to about that? Or you just, he hasn't said anything to you? And they said no. And that's what we used to say, he, he, he says he doesn't tolerate cruelty. We've seen it. We've reported it. And after reporting it, the workers verified he didn't say anything to them and then continued to engage in that behavior. The DA refused to bring charges. The DA had pictures of hog farms on her wall as I went into her office, but Tyson dropped the contract with him and he lost the farm, right? That's why it takes time to build a case. We went into it assuming the DA was gonna work against us, assuming the cops wouldn't care, but knowing that if we create, if we can show culpability by the owner of that facility, then we can do something to help the animals. Um, it's, it's like that with any kind of cruelty case. Yeah. Is there a way to buy meat? Because I know not everyone wants to go vegetarian or vegan. Right, right, right. Is there a way to source your meat ethically? The short answer is no. Um, but the reason that I, I, I say that is that uh, if, like, let's just say, let's just say beef. Let's just go with, with the beef, right? There's a... Um, Everyone knows that there is, uh, animal cruelty is just part of commercial operations, but a lot of people say, okay, but what if it's smaller? And what if there's no confinement? You know, um, and what if it's locally sourced, right? And it's like, I mean, well, I mean, I've, I've worked at a dairy that had 200 cows and uh, I uncovered animal cruelty that was so bad. It was on Al Jazeera before Al Jazeera was even in the US. I mean, it was that fucking bad. It's, yeah, it, it, I, you know, size doesn't matter, you know, um, type of animal doesn't matter. But like, there's a, one of the biggest things people are doing now is they're saying, okay, um, this 
uh, restorative regenerative agriculture is that you have cows and you have and you can have chickens too and all these animals and they move around the land and that if you by having them on the land it helps things grow it's been scientifically debunked right you, you uh um, areas of the u.s where cows are not crapping all over everything and trampling all over everything they grow better than areas where you do have cattle moving and, and moving around the land. Um, but you have, you have, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when it comes to vaccines, you have some scientists that will say vaccines are bad for you. The vast majority say that they're good for you. Um, with climate change, the same thing. It's like that with regenerative agriculture. It's just when, when regenerative agriculture is a thing, but with, you do not need animals involved with it to be the case. Um, you have animals that are simply brought into there they contribute to adding a bunch of nitrogen that fills up the soil and fills up too much. And they contribute to carbon and, and methane uh, to the atmosphere. And then at the end of it, at the end of their life for having a better life, they get loaded up into a trailer, sent off to the slaughterhouse and killed. And that final element, um, I know some people can kill animals at their own place and, and Perhaps that could be better, but most places don't do that. Most places, even if they're a small farm, what they do is they send livestock to an auction. And then that auction sends them to slaughterhouses. And uh, I've worked undercover at several auctions. I've worked undercover at cattle auctions, sheep and goat, everything. That's where all the family farms come together and sell all their little animals and their animals get sent off. And uh, yeah, you can, you can go online, put undercover undercover investigation auction you'll see ontario livestock sales and uh, i in fact um that was in california and then i i worked undercover at a, a couple auctions in mississippi in 2014 um uh i worked undercover at one in texas recently you don't have to take my word on it it is it is extraordinary animal cruelty and the reason is that you have constant movement of the animals the animals are stressed. They've been shipped out somewhere. You got to get them off. You got to move them through. Then you got to load them up. And with that constant stress and the workers having to move them, any animal that slows down the process, there's violence involved. Yeah. You know? So uh, no, the short answer is, is no. It's, uh, there's no way to eliminate cruelty or environmental damage um, when we have animals in our diet. Yeah. Yeah, so, sorry, listeners. Not me. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if anybody has it in them where they're like, I'm not going to go vegan, they're like, cool. If you, if you have a more plant-based diet, you truly help the environment. You truly help. Yeah. It's, just, it's a part of the reason that I, I come down hard on this stuff is that like the places I work undercover at, there's already laws to prevent what I see. There's already reg government regulations to stop all the violations that I document, you know, but it doesn't work. Right. And, and, and so if, if I would, if that it's one thing to say like, yeah, but look, we also find violations in, in, in uh, nursing homes. True, but we have to have nursing homes, right? We do not have to raise animals for food, you know? So like when I've, um, when I worked undercover on some fishing boats recently in California, and I saw that there were dead uh, dolphins and sea lions coming up every trip on these gillnet boats, um, you know, I was happy when California responded by banning the fishery, by looking at it and saying, okay, it's happening every time and it's never getting reported. There's a solution to that, right? Ban it. It was a swordfish fishery, right? just, just ban it. And, and that is, that's why I'm so big on adoption. That's why I, I have a vegan diet is that um, if, I, if, if I understand that with any industry, there's going to be some bad apples, there's going to be some problems. There's problems in animal rescue right? 
There's right. you got you got like Miami Dade Animal Services literally dump telling people leave a dog on the street because we don't want them just so we can say that we're no kill. I mean like that's messed up, right? That doesn't mean you should ban all no kill. But with with animal agriculture, the reason that I'd say it's different, and the reason I I don't push for this responsible way to do it is that you have this entire is that everyone's doing it in a way that's already supposed to be responsible, and there's this entire body of victims that constantly suffer for it. So why not just, why not just cut that out? Yeah. yeah. My husband's not going to appreciate this segment of the interview. <laughs> sorry, man. I'm sorry, but. buddy. <laughs> much love, much love. Not trying to, not, <laughs> not trying to make anyone feel guilty, you know, something to think about. <laughs> no. And it makes sense. I mean, I, I'm mostly vegan. That's good. Fantastic. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Primarily vegetarian. Yeah. Cool. Um, I I can get all of my protein and then some without having any meat. Yeah. I it, I, I was adding up my protein not too long ago because I've, I've been vegan since 98. So it's been like 24 years now. And it's like, I was adding up my protein for me to get over a hundred grams a day. Super easy. Like I've cut back because I don't, I don't need that much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, if, if we, if, if, if you replace a meal a day, if a meal, start with a meal a week, just occasionally, you know, do something uh, that there's a big difference there, you know, don't worry if you're not taking some giant, giant plunge, you know, yeah. um, the only thing we don't want to do is that we don't want to say it doesn't matter. Right. So I might as well do whatever I want. Like the, the biggest thing people do with cognitive dissonance is that they say, I've heard that if you have a small family farm, you can treat your animals fine and it'll be okay. So now I'm going to go to McDonald's, right? And it's like, just, no, right. <laughs> you know, like, like that's the thing a lot of, a lot of people do. Um, yeah. And, and it's that we, I think, I think that if you have listeners that, okay, listeners, if you have not turned off the interview yet, thank you. Okay. Because <laughs> I know this is controversial yeah. as hell. Okay. But, but if you're, if, if you're, if you're starting to be like, all right, this guy, Pete's going a little, I was with him on the dogs. Now he's talking about chickens. It's getting a little far out there. Right? But, um, but if, if, if you can understand that it's like, like when you're an animal rescue, the amount of people you deal with that say, look, I'm moving. I can't keep my dog or look, I just, you don't understand the circumstances that I'm in. I don't have time for this. And you think to yourself, my God, think of how hard I work and everything that I do. And, and think of this is a living being. This is your inconvenience versus a life. Like, why do you not get it? Just like, like stop and think for a moment about the, the mental frustration and, and that you have when I'm talking about veganism and realize that's in their head right? And that what's in their head is in yours right now. There doesn't need to be judgment for it, but to kind of stop and take a breath and say, oh, okay, hold on. Like, like what someone is saying is not necessarily what I'm hearing. I'm hearing judgment, yep. right? This person is just saying, this is a better way to help the planet. I'm yes. hearing judgment. And when I say this is a way to save a life, what they're hearing is judgment. Mm -hmm. And if we can at least meet at that point, I think we can have progress. Yeah. So when we 
talked when we were setting up this interview, you had, you were mentioning that there was um, a lot of new stuff coming up with puppy mills. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the the stuff coming up with puppy mills is the pet store bans, which uh, we, which we touched on some of that, but yeah. it's that in particular what we need is we need a ban, we need a ban in New York, New York State, and we need a ban in Miami Dade County, and uh, with New York we have a lot of momentum. It's just not quite getting past uh, uh, the legislator, state legislator, um, and uh, with Miami Dade, it's that Miami Dade Animal Services. Um, they believe that if they keep the, the pet stores in operation, that stops black market sales. So they're not understanding how that works. They're not, I've, I've spoken to an investigator at Miami Dade Animal Services a couple of times. He's responded to a couple of calls I made about a horrible pet store. Um, fantastic guy. Like he has reasoned out his arguments. He is, he believes in what he does. Um, you know, uh, I, he's a good person and he's and he's very good at his job right but um that the 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 i understand people thinking like if this is regulated it's better but i see it differently because i've worked undercover at a pet store because i've been to hundreds of pet stores because i know the sales tactics and the predatory lending techniques and all the lies that they give and i i've watched people who go in with no intention of buying a puppy buy a puppy Right. And, and so I think that there's a misunderstanding that people in New York and Miami-Dade County have of, of how these family businesses, right, that are running these pet stores, a misunderstanding that they're preying on the public. They're lying to people. Yeah. Right. And, it, you, and that is, this is not just about dogs. This is about protecting consumers as well, protecting their constituents. Right. And it, the reason that this matters to the rescue community is because when you're involved with rescue and say, say you're like, you're, uh, you're with a rescue where you're trying to get the local municipal shelter to reach a no, a no kill status, but you want to do it responsibly, right? You no kill is not the goal. It's like, it's really just a result. You just want that result. Right. And you're, so you're putting time and money in and going out and getting all these dogs out and that comes off of your sweat and tears, that comes off of your money, that comes off of donations from, from other people. And finally, the municipal shelter can be like, all right, we got no kill. And we want the puppy stores in business so we can regulate, right? It, it, it feels like, like they need to hold up their end. Your tax dollars pay for them to be in business. I believe that municipal shelters owe it to the rescues to help them out, right? If they're gonna help get your dogs out, get rid of the puppy stores. You know, yeah. because that's that's part of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, so yeah, if you have any listeners in New York or Miami Dade, contact uh, Companion Animal Protection Society. We can get you set up with, uh, with what to do. You know, HSUS and ASPCA are on it as well. Yeah. Is there anything? You know, obviously, I'm not in Florida or New York, but mm-hmm. is there anything that I can do from this far away? Yeah. Um. Once. Uh, once the next round of legislation goes up, they're going to be wanting to, to hear from people. And, and so, you know, I'm sure there could be petitions that can be signed. Yeah. Um, but I would say that really it's that it's that watch it and know how it goes down because you're going to want to be ready when it comes to your home state. Yeah. You know, I, I, Hey, listen, I know Alabama's ways from, from that happening. Right. But but you do have some efforts there. You have uh, Aubrey Kavanaugh wrote this fantastic book, Not Rocket Science, 
um, uh, and and she and and she's from your state, and it's all nice. about uh, getting Huntsville, Alabama, working with them to to make them yeah. no kill. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic book. It, it kind of lays out like the A to Z of like what no kill is, how to do it right, how it's done wrong. Very cool. Um, you know, uh, in 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 defense of of it, when you have when you have some animal rights groups that are opposed to no kill for some reasons, right? Now she lays she lays all that out there. Yeah. Um, um, so I, I once once there's enough of a culture shift ready in Alabama, uh, or or for your listeners in any state that you're in, um, um, watch New York and Miami Day to be and be ready, because part of what can help a state ban is if you can get a ban in your in a local county or a township that helps. Right. That helps to point out that like, we've already done it in most of the state. The, the rest of us are ready. Yeah. yeah. Um, I interviewed uh, the Alabama representative for the Humane Society. Um, right. Cool. Yes. Humane Society. Oh, oh the, the HSUS Alabama rep. Oh, awesome. Yes. Very yes. cool. Oh, I didn't so, catch that one. That's awesome. Yeah. No. And in there, she was talking about, you know, the biggest thing, if you want to talk to your representatives about animal welfare I mean, yes, it's about animal welfare. It's about making sure these animals are cared for and safe, but in order to get it through to your representatives, it, it has to be about the constituents. It has to be, how do these laws on animal welfare support your constituents? How do they help them have a better life? So you have to, when you're talking with them, think about, okay, if we're supporting these animals, what does that mean for supporting the people? And that's how you get them to start thinking about this in ways yeah. that make sense to them. She's hundred percent right. If you have a uh, consumer complaints, right? Like they sold me a sick puppy and then they wouldn't do anything about it. And if you can prove there's predatory lending techniques and if you can prove that they're lying, right? Like they say they don't sell from puppy mills, but like I found out who the breeder is of this puppy and it's a full on puppy mill. That's the kind of thing that, that will help. And so what uh, all groups work on that, but um, what uh what the companion animal protection society does caps like they'll like go we go to stores we go to like every store in a place and document everything that every store has to say about where they claim their puppies from come from then we go to those breeders and show and then we can show the lies hsus has done some fantastic stuff where they've worked undercover at two pet stores in new york and so that not only you know that proved they were knowingly selling sick puppies yeah. which is something I've seen working undercover at Petland as well. Um, I know they had, uh, HSUS had someone work undercover at Petlands in, uh, in Florida and Texas as well, found the same thing, you know? So when, 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 uh, when that happens and, and you, you show like, like they know the puppy's sick, they're selling them anyway, then you show, yeah, you're, you show that they're preying on the public. So she's a thousand percent right. Yeah. There's a quote in your book that struck me we need to appreciate dogs as beings that exist for their own reasons and are not only capable of happiness, love, loyalty, and respect, but also worthy of those things themselves. And that just, I feel like that encapsulates this whole thing. The, the reason we're here is to make sure that they get what they deserve, like the yeah. love and the respect and the support and the care. Absolutely. Yeah, that was um, when I, when I had when I wrote that um, I was talking to uh, to Gene Stone, uh, one of the authors, and I was going off about teleology. Yeah. Right? And he's like, 
I don't think we should like, like, why don't we, why don't we simplify this a bit? You know, cause I, I love yeah. to talk about it. Right. But um, I thought, okay, how do, how do I word that when I, when I'm, when I'm trying to say that I don't believe there's a reason something that exists, we, we create those reasons. And that when we do it, when we do it for, for, for these selfish reasons for ourselves, we, we just victimize everyone and everything around us. Right. And how do we do that when we take into account what dogs are? Right. So like, let's, let's step back for a second and let's take the romance out of it. Let's just look at it scientifically as it is that, that dogs, they come from this, you know, this, you know, this ancestor of wolves and that they have these, these couple genes turned on in their brain that makes them love people. Right. And, and that's just the way that they are through um, it, it, it. I'm sure that wasn't like through a, an initially through selective breeding. It just so happened. Those are the ones they went around. Those are the ones that would breed. It, it, it happened through chaos. Right. But the end result now is that we have these animals that the, the, the state of them, the natural state, so they're going to want to love people. They're going to want to they're just loyal right? They have these traits that we constantly, as people, constantly struggle with to maintain and to even identify what those things are for us, right? And for dogs, it's right there in their being, yeah. right? And, and, and that, we, that we have responded as a culture by taking advantage of that, racing them, fighting them, uh, breeding, you know, breeding them to a point that it works against their own physical and, and, and mental yes. well-being, you know, and that if we were to stop and just, and just look at them and say, okay, well, if, if, you know, what is it that given the state of things, what is it that we can and should do with them? It is, I, I like, I love all animals. I understand why it's difficult to love an alligator. I get it. All right. It's not, Super easy. It's a lot involved with that. Now, don't get me wrong. I have seen people love up on their little alligators and Fantastic. smell them like a dog. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, I understand why it's more difficult. Okay. Right. But with dogs, it's just so easy. And mm-hmm. that is the point is that because it is easy, it is easy to take advantage of. Yes. And there's a reason that we have victimized dogs so much and that we victimize alligators less, right? Yeah. Is, that, is that we have, and that with other animals, when we saw it was more difficult to victimize them, we, we bred them so that it was easier, right? It's, they, these are the most docile chickens, the most docile hogs, the most docile cows, easier for us to abuse, yeah. right? And if, if we can instead take away the idea that there's, that they're here for that reason, that we created those reasons for them. What, what is it that we believe should be the responsible and ethical thing to do with them? So yeah, that, I, I thank you for, for reading that quote. That was my most concise way uh, uh, to try to put that. Yeah, no, it, when I read it, it just struck me like, yeah, that's, that's the easiest way to put it. That's the easiest way for it to make sense to anyone. Yeah. And, and that really does say why we're here. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. 
Well, Pete, I've taken up so much of your time. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. No, it's an honor to be on. It really is. Really oh, is. I, you, you have a fantastic podcast. I, I, I hope that your listeners have enjoyed it. I hope a lot of them have stuck around until yes. this point. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do too. And yeah. no, I think this is really good information. And anyone who is curious about animal rescue or welfare or any of that, um, I think this gives some good points on kind of where they can start and how they can help. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. And and uh, obviously you have an incredible amount of other interviews filled with information to answer all kinds of rescue questions. Yes. So, yes, yeah. Thank sure. you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing what else you um, have to send to us, you know, different books or different documentaries to just help. Oh us yeah. There's running. stuff in the works. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to the Animal Rescue Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you have ideas for future guests, please email me at theanimalrescuepod at gmail.com or follow me at theanimalrescuepod on Instagram.